0: And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. So in verse 7, I think there's at least three things the Lord is showing us and giving us in verse 7. And I'm excited to unpack those this morning, but before we do that, I think it's important that we understand kind of why John's writing this and what's going on in the first place. So in John's context, we're talking about the Apostle John. Um, In John's context, there was a trend of thought about God that uh, claimed that there was some sort of secret or special knowledge uh, that was a hidden way to understand who God is and what he's done, that, there's, that God can be known only in the shadows, that God can be known through mystery, that there's a hidden path, that there's this kind of hidden knowledge that we have to kind of dig for. And that was called Gnosticism. And if you've been in church, or if you've sat in a philosophy class or a history class in school, you've probably heard the term Gnosticism. And a, among its many claims was that God was a, a shadowy figure Um, who could only be known through mystery and a special hidden knowledge. And even then, if you could know God, if you could find God that way, you couldn't know him that well. And that's why John draws such a sharp distinction, not only in this passage, but also um, through the rest of his writings, between light and darkness. That's That's a prevalent theme in all of John's writings. And while the Gnostics believed that God was found in the shadows... John cuts right to the heart of that and says that God is not only known in the light, but that God is the light. And verse 5 is very significant. There, John says that, he says that this is the message we have received from him. Now, what, who's he talking about there? Well, if you read verse 3, he's saying that what Jesus told him and the other apostles. So when he's, he's saying this, he's like, this is the message we received from Jesus, that God is light, John is saying then, this is very significant, John is saying that Jesus himself, in describing the nature of God, in describing the character of God, does so by saying that God is light. Nothing about God's character, nothing about God's nature is hidden in the darkness, And Paul reinforces that in Romans chapter one where he says, what can be known about God has been made plain to you. I wonder what you think of that. Do we take Jesus at his word when he's describing himself? Do we believe that he's not hidden? Do we believe that he's near to every one of us as Paul says in Acts 17, that God is near to us? Do we believe that he's not hidden in the darkness, but that he is in the light and he is the light? You see, what's happening here is John's really telling us that there are really two paths we can take with our lives. We can walk the path of darkness where God is not found, or we can walk in the light where God is. And this isn't we need to think about light in, a, in, the, in the way that John intends it here. This isn't kind of an Eastern mystical kind of light that John's talking about, right? So the the Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Shintoism, taoism you name it. Light in, those, in that system of thought is kind of this, to walk in the light or to be in the light in those systems are, is really to kind of be on an elevated spiritual plane, to be enlightened, to be kind of above everyone in your understanding and your knowledge. It's not, the, John's not talking about the, the yin and the yang of Buddhism, which is what we see in Star Wars, right? So there's this, I'm a, I'm a Star Wars fan. There's this, there's this force, and there are equal parts, light and darkness, and they're equally powerful, but they just kind of balance each other out. That's not what John's talking about here. Darkness is not the equal and opposite of light. What darkness is, is the absence of light. And John's saying that in God, there is no darkness at all. John explicitly states that Jesus himself has described the nature of God as light in whom there is no darkness. There is no dark side to God. And as a result, those who want to know God, those who want to walk with God, those who want to have fellowship with God must do so and can only do so in the light of who God is. And this isn't natural because we gravitate towards the darkness. We love the darkness. John himself writes elsewhere that light has come into the world, but men, meaning mankind, loved the darkness. On our own, we want to live in the darkness because it feels so good, it feels so natural, it feels so good to us. Um, It's kind of our natural kind of sweet spot because our sin never gets dealt with, our sin never gets exposed, we never get found out, we never have to confess, we can just continue on and on and on in the things that feel so good to us that completely separate us from God. We love the darkness. And in the darkness, our sin grows, and it thrives, and it festers, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. But the darkness is not where God is. No, God is in the light, and he himself is the light. So then let's look at verse 7, and we'll see what God's telling us here. And we'll see the things that the Lord is showing us and revealing to us about himself in verse 7. So 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, this verse is really foundational for Christian life. In it, we see how, don't miss this, we see how right belief and obedience to God creates a right culture in the relationship between God and man and between us as believers, So we see how a right relationship with God creates a right culture between God and man and among believers. We might say then, as one of my mentors has so eloquently put it, that gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. The staff is probably rolling their eyes because they hear me say this every day in the office. But gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. So then let's walk through verse 7. The first thing God gives us here is fellowship with himself. And if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God. Now, how did I get there? Because after all, John says that if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God, not necessarily each other. Excuse me, we have fellowship with each other, not necessarily fellowship with God. But look up in verse 3. John says that he is proclaiming Christ so that his listeners will have fellowship with him and his fellow apostles. But the fellowship that they have is fellowship with God. So John's saying that I'm proclaiming this to you so that you will have fellowship with us, meaning me and the other apostles. And then he says, our fellowship is with God and Jesus, God the Father and with God the Son. So then to have fellowship with John and the apostles is to have fellowship with God. And I'm not sure there's better news than that, that that me and you and all of us can have fellowship with God because we've... We've said that isn't natural, that, that isn't something that we, that we normally have, that isn't something we can just manufacture. We love the darkness and we don't walk with God, but John's telling us here that if we walk in the light, we can have fellowship with God. And so what does that look like? Well, we know that um, as believers, if you've been a believer, if you've been a Christian for longer than 10 minutes, you realize and you know very well that you don't just automatically stop sinning wouldn't that be great if you just, okay, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm done with sin. I have sinned a hundred times this morning and it's only 1130 and there's ways that I don't even know that I've sinned that I've already sinned this morning. So we don't stop sinning. So that's not what this is talking about. We know that our, we know that our right standing with God doesn't come from our morality or our best efforts. We don't just wake up one morning and decide to do better. We don't just wake up one morning and decide to straighten up and fly right or turn over a new leaf or pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or just wake up one morning and be like, I'm just gonna be a better guy today to earn God's favor. I'm just, that's, just not, that's just not how it works. That's not how we have a relationship with God. And as a believer, we don't stop sinning. So the Lord has to give us something to help us with this. Walking in the light then is not how we become Christians we become Christians by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period, hard stop. For the believer then, and this is significant, for the believer, walking in the light is not catalytic in how we have fellowship with God. Rather, it's the ongoing pervasiveness of how we continue in our fellowship with God. So we are saved, to use a southern expression we are to use a theological expression we are regenerated and we become Christians and we have fellowship with God but we continue in that fellowship with God and we deepen that fellowship with God by walking in the light so what that looks like then again we said we don't stop sinning right but now what we do is we take our sin out of the shadow we drag it out of the shadows into where the into the light of where God is And we expose it before him and let him deal with it. Sin thrives in the darkness, but it dies in the light. We aren't meant to cover over our sins and hide it and just sweep it under the rug. God's so gracious to give us this because he knew we were going to be messy. He knew that we are going to have sins that we continue to stumble and fall with and fail. He knew that there are sins that you're going to commit for the third time and the fifth time. In the 25th time? But what he's given us here is walking in the light. So we run right to God and we confess it and we ask him for help. We don't just sweep it under the rug and forget about it. We drag it into the light, out of the darkness, into where God is, and let him deal with it. And that can be really, really hard. Because there's within us this this deep-seated belief that God doesn't love us as much in those moments right after we sin. That somehow in that moment right after we commit that sin for the 10th time or the 15th time or the 100th time, that somehow we have to earn our way back into God's good graces. That somehow we have to prove to him that we're worthy of his love. That somehow we have to, to, to show him that we're really serious this time about being sorry that God doesn't love us as much, and we have to earn our way back into his favor, that somehow his affection for us has diminished. His love is fickle in his display of affection towards us based on our behavior. Maybe I'm the only one that feels that. Maybe I am, maybe I am, but I'm willing to wager I'm not because I struggle with that deeply. But here's how I know that feeling isn't of the Lord. And here's how I know that Jesus himself loves us as much in the moment immediately after we commit a sin as he does in those moments when we walk the most closely with him. Because the Bible tells us so. Romans 5.8, Paul says that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2.4, which we looked at a couple weeks ago in our study, Paul writes, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. So then, believer, believe that God loves you. Rest in that. Stake your life on that. Hold that fast. God loves you with an immediate and constant and great and eternal love. And that's why we can drag our sin into the light. That's why we can walk in the light before him. And that's why we can't just be content to sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not a big deal. Because sin nailed Jesus to the cross. It's it's a really serious thing. Jesus came to die for that. We are professional sinners, and we need a professional savior. So bringing it into the light of who God is is essential for fellowship, ongoing, meaningful fellowship with God. For real and ongoing, meaningful, deep, abiding fellowship with God, walking in the light is a must. One of my favorite preachers... A guy named Paul Washer says, um, he says that very often after he preaches, people will come to him and say, you know, I've got a new relationship with God. And if you've ever heard Paul Washer, his response to that isn't surprising. He can be a little bit rough sometimes, but he's, he's great. He says, well, that's great that you have a new relationship with God, but do you have a new relationship with sin? Because if you don't have a new relationship with sin, you don't have a new relationship with God. If we don't, walk in the light, if we don't pervasively do this, if we don't drag our sin into the light of where God is, our sin will eat away at our closeness with God. The 15th century Puritan pastor, John Owen, in his famous book, The Mortification of Sin, which is a classic, if you don't have it, let me know, I'll buy it for you. It's published in 1656. There John Owen writes, we must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. John Owen's right. It's like going to the doctor when you're sick, when you've got an ailment. We go into the doctor's office and we tell the doctor everything. We hold nothing back. No matter how distasteful or embarrassing or gross we lay ourselves bare we undress we hold nothing back we're vulnerable and the doctor helps us get well we must walk in the light, we must live there. We have to lay ourselves before God and open, open ourselves up to him and he'll give us fellowship with himself. We bring nothing but our need, we hold out the empty hands of faith and say, God, here it is again, here's that same sin, please help me. And he does just that, he does just what he promises. The next thing we see in verse seven is that if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with each other. Now this one is explicit to the text. So not only does walking in the light give us fellowship with God, it also gives us fellowship with one another. We, in bringing our sin before God, we expose our need of Him, but in confessing our sin to one another, we expose our need of community and we share one another's burdens. Now, why is that so important? Because God has not called any of us to a life of isolation, in all of redemptive history, from the time that God revealed himself to humanity to the time that he consummates history at the return of Christ, at no point in redemptive history has a follower of God ever done so alone or on an island. It's always been done in community. And honestly, this really shouldn't seem that abnormal to us. That's not a hard idea to get our mind around. We, we long for connection. We crave connection. We crave community with others. That's why if you go to a restaurant or a bar or a pub or a stadium, there's people united around something, fellowshipping with one another. We want to experience what we value with other people who value that same thing. That's why TJ is gonna love this this illustration. So when I go to Florida State, when I go to a Florida State game, right, and I'm sitting with 80,000 other Florida State fans, most of us sad because we're such a terrible football team. You know, we're, we're dressed alike. We're doing the same cheers. We're chopping. We're all hoping for a new coach. We're hoping we can beat a D3 school. But we have something in common, but I'm not going to turn to the guy next to me, and I'm not going to, like, unburden my heart to that guy. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna tell the, the, you know, the 20-year-old frat boy sitting next to me that here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what's not working in my relationship with God. Here's where I'm experiencing some really good victories with God and I need to rejoice in that. That'd be insane. That'd be cra- I'd be the crazy guy that gets escorted out by security if I started doing that. So just a, like that kind of connection doesn't make sense outside of the church and that's why we need a new type of culture that's why we need a gospel culture that only God can give. And community in a culture like that isn't like connection on Instagram or Twitter. We don't measure our connection and fellowship with others in a gospel culture in likes or retweets. There's a reason we have studies showing that right now, as a human race, we are more connected with each other than at any point in history. But those, st- those same studies show that more people report to being lonely than ever before. And that's because on our own, we, we really only experience a shadow of what community actually is. We're in profound need of the kind of fellowship that comes when we're united around Christ the King. John Piper in preaching this same passage says this, and we'll, this will be up on the screen. The message of Christ call it theology or doctrine, is the basis of all significant Christian fellowship. And I I think Piper's right there. When we walk in the light, when we confess our sins to God, when we confess our sins to each other, the Lord does something in those moments. He gives us something. He binds our hearts together. He knits us in closeness and he creates family. He gives us a culture that only he can build. It's gospel doctrine creating gospel culture. And that's what I long to see in the Christian church. I long to see the Christian church be marked by honesty and fellowship and a shared walking in the light together. A place where we can unburden our hearts and unburden our souls and share one another's burdens. We can can bring our worst and expect God's best. Where we can look a brother or a sister right in the eye and tell them what is or isn't working in our relationship with God and we can be prayed for immediately on the spot. When we walk in the light, God gives us that. He removes any sense of fear and any sense of insecurity that we have when we open up in that way. And that's not, that takes some courage because many of us, myself included, have experienced church that is so painful and so broken, that when you open up any type of yourself to anyone else, fear, shame, guilt, gossip, betrayal, I've experienced all of it, and it hurts, and it's risky. Blackmail, I tell you something, and now you've got something on me, Or I tell you something in confidence and now I hear three other people two days later telling me about what I told you. And if those things don't happen, we might get a list of quick fixes. Here's what's not working. Well, here's three ways to fix that. Here's five steps to be a better whatever. Here's some unwanted advice. Maybe you've experienced that. Do we really need more of that? Do we really need more pain, more shame, more distrust? Do we really need more pithy treatments that never really help? We have so much of that or You can find that anywhere. And unfortunately, you can find that in the church a lot of times. But in a church culture that walks in the light before God and before each other, we give the Lord room to work and he'll give us a safe environment where no one needs to fear betrayal or gossip that comes out of a sense of superiority. When we walk in the light, God gives us an environment where we all acknowledge our need before him and that keeps us all humble. We simply look each other in the eye. We confess what's really going on. We unburden our souls and we rejoice together, but we confess what's really going on and on the spot we pray for one another and ask God to help and we give him time to work so you have an element of safety to where you know that trust isn't going to be betrayed and then you give God time to work no time limits no therapy no grandstanding we just confess to each other and we pray for each other on the spot and the Lord is faithful and he will take us into fellowship with one another that we've never known before It's so kind of the Lord to give us that because it's such a different kind of fellowship than we could ever invent on our own. And that's why, and here's where I plug my own ministry, that's why small groups are so important. We are actively working to build this kind of culture out into our small groups. Now, there are some things that a man has no business confessing to a woman that's not his wife. And there are some things that a woman has no business confessing to a man that's not her husband. And there are some things that have no business being confessed in a small group setting at all. But as we walk in the light with God and we walk in the light together, we find those relationships. And we have people that we can go to. and We say, look, man, here's, here's what's going on. I'm really experiencing victory here, but man, I'm really failing here. And here's where I need the Lord to work for me. Will you pray for me? We're building that into our small group culture. And if you're not in a group, you need to be in one. The Lord has not called you to fonder in Church. The Lord has not called you to the Christian life to walk in isolation and hide your pain and carry it by yourself. There's some things in life that we have to carry on our own. But there's many things the Lord wants us to share. Some of you may need to lead a small group. Because what I'm saying, and what I'm preaching is really resonating. And you're saying, man, I want to lead in that. And so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it will look like for you to maybe become a small group leader this coming fall. But moving on. The third thing and the final thing we see in this passage is that if we walk in the light, we have cleansing from all sin. You know, that's an interesting phrase. That's a curious phrase to be found in a passage like this. That's a really bizarre phrase to, 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 to be found in a passage that has to do with fellowship with God and other believers, that we have cleansing from all sin. Now, of course we know that our sins are forgiven by the blood of Christ. We know that Jesus died on the cross to actually forgive and actually secure eternal life for those who believe. That's made explicitly clear in, from cover to cover in the Bible. Nearly every book alludes to that. What's curious, though, is its placement here in this passage. So is John saying, then, that we need to continually be cleansed of our sin? Well, yes and no. What John is not saying is that when we walk in the light and we confess our sins, that we're being made new, and we used that word earlier, regenerated, being regenerated over and over again, that we're not, quote, unquote, getting saved over and over That's not what John's saying. Hebrews 7.27 makes it abundantly clear that um, Jesus made atonement once and for all. So we know that's not what John means here. We don't continually get saved over and over. So if we think back to the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when Jesus is sharing the final Passover with his disciples before his crucifixion, He goes to wash their feet, and after some discussion um, with Peter, Peter objects. He says, you're never gonna wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no place with me. And then Peter, being Peter, opens his mouth and says, then don't only wash my feet, wash my head and my hands too, Give give me a bath. Make it stick. And what Jesus says to him is really telling. Jesus says in John 13, 10, he says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet because he is completely clean. So what Jesus is saying in John 13 and what John is saying in verse 7 and this I'm pretty sure this is right because John wrote both books is that those who are Christians don't uh, those who are Christians already don't need to be saved again. In a in a salvation term, they don't need to be reborn again. What he's saying is that when we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus keeps us clean. It's an ongoing renewal of purity that the Lord gives to us. We walk before him, we open up, we lay ourselves bare, we drag our sin into the light, we confess, and he cleanses us by keeping us pure and holy. And that's something only God can do. And it's incredible because John says this applies to all our sins. Jesus doesn't miss one of them when it comes to his ability to clean us. In Isaiah, when God is measuring out the universe and he's naming naming the stars and he's calling them all by name, Isaiah says, missing not one, he has named them all. And in that same way, the blood of Jesus doesn't miss one of our sins. He covers every single one of them. And this can't be separated, though, from confession and repentance. It can't be separated from confession and repentance. We walk in the light before God and other believers, and this is what the Lord does for us. And I wonder what you think of that that it can't be separated from confession and repentance if we want this ongoing, perpetual cleansing from the Lord. In his masterful commentary on this passage, John Calvin helps us understand this idea better. He says this, in short, remission of sins cannot be separated from repentance, nor can the peace of God be in those hearts where the fear of God does not prevail. This passage shows us that the gratuitous pardon of sins is given us not only once, but that it is a benefit perpetually residing in the church and daily offered to the faithful. So I have two questions. First, for you believers, for the Christians, are you experiencing that gratuitous pardon? Well, you can by walking in the light. This is what God wants to do for us. He wants us to walk in the light so that we have an ongoing fellowship with Him, a meaningful and deep and safe, holy fellowship with Him and with each other. The second question Have you experienced the first pardon where? All of your sin is transferred to Jesus, and all of his righteousness is transferred to you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, to become sin so that you can become the righteousness of God. That's the first step. Have you experienced that first pardon? There is no gospel culture without gospel doctrine if we miss that first step, which is being in a right relationship with God through Christ, the fellowship we'll have with one another is no better than what we can get in a social club. We can have that later today, is St. Patrick's day. So you can go to a pub this afternoon and you can have that kind of fellowship. It's not special. There is no gospel culture without gospel doctrine. What God can and what he will give us though is so much better. Have you been cleansed? Are you in fellowship with God? If not, you can square that away this morning. Just ask him. Just ask, and he'll meet you there. He'll meet you where you are. There's no magic words to say. There's no no special way to do that. You just ask God. You say, God, I need you. I, I want you. Help me. And he'll meet you where you are. In just a minute, I'll be down front, some other people will be down front, and it would be our privilege to pray with you if you want to do that. But for those of us who are believers and follow Jesus, let's take the risk. Let's dive head in, head on, all in, all the way. Let's walk in the light together. Let's see what God will do when we open ourselves up to Him. And let's receive the fellowship and the gratuitous and perpetual pardon that he'll give us when we do so. Let's pray. Father, you're so gracious to give us um, such amazing promises, Lord, that when we walk in the light as you are in the light, that you give us fellowship with yourself, you give us fellowship with one another, that you give us continual pardon and continual cleansing from our sins. Lord, we could never invent that. We could never mastermind that type of culture. So Lord, we, we hold you to your word and ask you to give us that. In Jesus' name, amen.